This episode is sponsored by Linode. Do you need a Linux server for your latest creation? Then check them out. They provide SSDs, 40 gigabit per second network connections, and top of the line hardware to run your server on. It deploys Linux in seconds from the Linode cloud and you can choose your Linux distro and node location right from the manager. They have locations in Asia, North America, and Europe, and they have a sweet set of tools to make it easy to manage it. If the web interface isn't your thing, they also have an API and a command line. So definitely go check them out. They also provide two-factor authentication, IPv6, DNS manager, cloning, scaling, and everything else that you want. So definitely get the most out of your Linux node and check them out at linode.com. And check them out at devchat.tv slash linode. Hey everybody and welcome to the iFreak Show. Today on our panel we have Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. This is James Zuber. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have a special guest today. Uh, please welcome James Majors. Hello from Atlanta. Hotlanta. But no one really uh, calls it that, right? Mostly humid Atlanta, but that humid, name humid. never really caught on. Okay. Uh, that's how it goes. So, so James, I met I met James for the first time at at AllConf this year. But you've been around the scene. You've been speaking a lot. You were at iOS. You spoke at iOS Remote Conf last year. So some mm-hmm. of our our listeners are familiar with what with what you've been doing. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am an iOS developer for a company called Possible Mobile. Uh, but I spent about twenty five years doing audio and some video, not a, a, in the studio and live but then realized that I'd like to do something that involved a lot less lifting. So I decided to go back to one of my original interests, uh, which was programming and was fortunate enough to find this company and work on some pretty big projects along the way and decided, Hey, I might as well go out and stand in front of people and babble at them. So that's when I started doing talks, uh, at not only for remote comp, but for some other, on-site conferences and also some meetups and things like that. Uh, very cool. What type of things are you, do you talk about? Mostly Swift. Some of the details of Swift, things like optionals and functional programming approaches in Swift, um, classes versus structs, you know, very exciting things like that. I, I tend to gear my talks a little more introductory, but to go very deep into a topic, like optionals are one of those things that everyone kind of thinks they understand, but probably aren't aware of all the intricacies and what it really is under the hood. So I, I try to go deep into those things, but make it easy to sit through. Okay. No, very cool. It's always, always helpful to have someone explain things in depth. Even if you think you know something after a half hour of presentation, I always learn something else. So that's cool. But I think today we're going to talk about kind of the making records and you know how that's influenced how you're writing code. Is that cool? Absolutely. Awesome. So, what about you know the audio recording world? Uh, you know, maps to the, the computer world. They seem pretty different. Well, they do on the surface, but when you really get into it, it's it's an industry that well, both industries are a strange combination of the technology or a technological approach to a problem, but also an artistic approach, because when you're making a record and you're an engineer. You're there to transform someone's vision, which I know sounds really cliche, but an artist walks in and with an idea of what they're trying to accomplish, how something sounds, how something comes across. And it's your job to use the technology to make that happen, be it brand new technology, some nice new slick digital plug-in, or a piece of 50s broadcast equipment that you know, weighs about 40 pounds and will definitely electrocute you if you touch it wrong. So it's, it's a strange amalgamation of taking the straightforward technology, but the sort of loose, uh, artistic ideas and blending them together because programming, there's a programming is the same way. Here's a problem, figure out how to do it and do it in a way that maybe not be, may not be as pretty or as interesting to the casual observer as a song, but there's still a lot of art artistry. There's a lot of artistic and creative approaches you can take 
to writing code. I mean, I know there's a, it almost sounds cliche, but having been on this side, there is a lot of artistry that can go, that, that can go into writing code. I mean, the idea of beautiful code or elegant code uh, to a lot of people sounds ridiculous, but once you get into it, seeing how someone solves a problem in a way that is both solid yet beautiful uh, sort of reminds me of making a record, pulling off, applying your trade in a way that gets the job done well, but also provides that, that feeling of making something special. If I can be long-winded about it. Yeah, it's a good point. You start with some grand concept, some like an artist has or a product owner or a user has, and you get it down to these different things. It eventually goes down to bits. You know, you, almost all audio is get, gets down to bit, bits at some point, just like our code, and then people use it. So, yeah. So. It's all about providing something to the end user. Um, uh, this all really started with trying to think about how to put a talk together that wasn't strictly technical, like yet another, let's look at another piece of Swift, uh, which fortunately is the language that I use every day. It really was, what are some of the things that I've learned along the way that would apply to this or any other creative slash technological endeavor? And there is a lot of, of overlap. Uh, and, and I try to sort of come across not as the fuddy-duddy old guy, but rather, hey, I've made these mistakes. Please learn from them so you don't make the same mistakes. And I, I really try to pull my experiences and the things that seem rather obvious when you say them, but aren't really obvious until you say them. Um, but I mean, we can kind of get into that a if you're interested in hearing the little parts from the talk that I think apply to both industries. Yeah, for sure. So if you are, uh, well, if you ever get a chance to see the talk, which actually I'm doing quite a few times this year, I have, I have a, a list of nine things that I cover. And again, they seem rather obvious. Uh, I actually call it the most obvious talk you'll ever hear. You know, the topics are fundamentals matter. You can't polish a turd. It's not the gear, it's the ear. Uh, you know, listeners don't care about religious debates. No one buys the album because of the mic the singer used. Nothing is sacred. Some shiny things are just shiny. Uh, you, you can't fix it in the mix, another audio phrase. And architecture matters. And these are really basic ideas that you know, number one, fundamentals matter. And there are a lot of a lot of people in really any industry that try to look for the quick way to reach a goal, be it becoming a programmer, becoming a musician, becoming anything. And they try to skip over the foundational elements of what they're doing. So in the world of audio, uh, music in particular, you know, time or in audio, in music, it's about tempo and pitch, rhythm, those very basic ideas. And if you don't have a good sense of timing, well, you can have a great sense of pitch, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. If you don't understand basic terminology when it comes to music, you're going to have a very difficult time communicating with musicians. If you don't understand the basic ideas in programming, like simple Boolean logic, simple loops, uh, simple algebra, and actually understand them in a way that isn't just cursory or surface, you're going to have a very difficult time implementing someone's idea or even understanding what they're trying to convey. And one of the points I make is there was a book called Art and Fear, uh, which has an example of an experiment that a pottery teacher ran, which is teacher walked in at the beginning, first day of the semester, says, all right, this half of the room, you will be graded on one piece of pottery. You have the entire semester to make one piece. The other half will be graded purely on weight. Doesn't matter if you make things that are ugly, 
doesn't really matter if you make the same thing over and over. Your grade will be based solely on the quantity of work that you do. And the question I pose is, by the end of the semester, which group generally produced the best pottery? And the answer is, it was the ones that were graded on weight because they had to do it over and over and over. So they would just do the work. They weren't so concerned with the ideas, the theory that they were frozen in time that they weren't able to do anything. They just did the work over and over. They practiced and practiced and practiced. And by the time they were ready to be graded, they were producing better work than the people that just worried about this abstract idea of a great piece of art opposed to as opposed to rolling up their sleeves and just getting the work done, doing little things. Like when I started in studios, I would be at the studio all the time. I was always playing with something. I was always pulling up old reels. That's analog reels, which you can use Wikipedia to look up. Uh, always working on something, playing with different gear, playing with different microphones. Let's run this into that. What happens if I use this kind of reverb, if I use this kind of effect, if I use this kind of EQ, making things sound bad, trying to figure out a way to make them sound good, but just putting in a lot of work. I mean, every day. If I wasn't getting paid to do something, I was still there doing something. And that's what it takes in any, any endeavor to get better. You just have to do it. And you have to do it over. And you have to do it over. And I used to teach... Um, I was an adjunct professor at an audio school. And one of the things I would tell my students is that you really want your trash to wind up in your garbage can, not your clients. So if you want to get good at something, make a lot of mistakes so you get it out of the way. So when it comes time to actually do work people are paying you for, you're all out of mistakes and you're actually going to make something good. So how does that work in the software world? Well, I'm an iOS developer, um, so I have a very large menu of frameworks to deal with. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine being a JavaScript developer where it's like every day there's some new framework coming out. But just sitting down and saying, here's a very simple problem I want to solve. I'm going to use this framework. I want to sit and understand how network calls happen. Well, I'm going to sit down and just make some potentially useless application that is going to teach me how to do this one piece. I want to understand how augmented reality works, you know, how AR kit works. Well, I'm going to sit down and make something stupid or generally useless that's going to teach me something. Or maybe I'm going to look at someone else's work and reproduce that. It takes sitting and doing it. We can't just read the book and assume you know. You actually need to sit down, use the language, use the framework, and it doesn't really matter which language or framework. Don't spend the time trying to find the, quote, right tool or the perfect tool for what you're trying to get done. I mean, if you're, if you're a JavaScript developer, maybe instead of going to some particular framework, of which there are a billion, sit down and try to use the language to do something. Or, Get a framework, understand how it works, and pull it apart. I mean, so many are open source. They can actually see how the guts work. You know, sit down and, and make those changes. Make something bad and then make a lot of things that are bad until you can get to the point where you can make something good. Programming in general is so huge that accept that you'll never know all of it and just try to learn parts of it really, really well so that. When a new framework comes along, if you find it beneficial, you use it. If not, then you don't worry about it. But you will put the work in to understand the difference between good and bad. And you will be able to understand how to solve a problem from different angles because you've done it over and over and over. I mean, there's no shortcut to any of this. You know, it takes a while to learn anything. You can learn the fundamentals very quickly, but to actually learn something in depth is going to take the work. It takes the effort. It takes doing it 
over and over and over, just like the pottery. I mean, ultimately, you are you're graded on the quantity of work that you do because that ultimately leads to quality. That's a good point. I think a lot of developers get stuck trying to make the perfect solution for something <clears throat> instead of getting something that that just works. And a lot of times, get something working and, and move on. And if you need to, you can come back to it later. But a lot of times, the simple solution is just what you need. So if you get if you get into that mindset, okay, well, this simple solution might take us most of the way we need to get. And in that case, you know, go with it. So I think that, think that there there is a lot in common. Yeah, there's there are times that I was in sessions that spending a little more time on a sound or trying to find the perfect snare drum or the perfect compressor or, or whatever ultimately was going to cause more harm because I've taken away from the energy, the enthusiasm, the feeling of a session and how an artist feels at that particular time. So there are times it's much better to work fast and come up with something that is close than to waste time trying to find something that's perfect you know because to us to in our approach as software developers we have a very very different view of software than the end user just like as an engineer i have a very different view or can have a different view of a record than the end user but ultimately it's not really about my hopes and dreams and what gets me off and excited. It's about providing something to the end user. So trying to find that perfect framework and spending days to try to find something that'll save you a couple of lines of code can be very detrimental to the overall outcome of a project. You know, if, if a client really needs something done, chances are they want you to get it done as quickly as you can and as close to what they want as you can get. Not that that's a way of shirking responsibility or saying, oh, quality doesn't matter. That's not at all. You have a much better chance of understanding the difference between good and bad if you've done it over and over. If you've made things that you can then step back and go, wow, that sucked, but I learned something and then built on that and not repeat the same mistakes. So there's, there is actually a lot of similarity in that. I mean, there, I've done a lot of sessions that quite frankly, I just need to get it done. If it sounded all right, that's all they wanted, which is a terrible thing for a professional who has spent their career and a lot of time, effort and money to try to come up with something really, really good. You know, I owned an equipment rental company. I had dozens and dozens of pieces of equipment. I had racks of gear that I had hand selected because I felt that for a particular use, they were the best example of, of that that I could find, you know, compressors that were made in the fifties, EQs that were built in the sixties, all these things that were sort of the ultimate example of that technology. And then to do a session where it's like, all we really need is to plug in a drum machine and have one microphone. Don't really care what it sounds like on one level uh, is like, Oh, well this is kind of lame, but the thing is I'm getting paid for results. So if I wanted to spend all this time trying to find the perfect mic and the person I am who is paying me starts to get annoyed, well, how beneficial is that? It's not at all. So there are times where it really is about getting it done. Uh, and yeah, on a professional level that feels kind of crappy, but the reality is people are paying you to get the work done. So you got to make those choices. Yeah. This is something that software people are very used to as well. It's like, you know, we need something really quick. You know, it may not be the, the full app that you're used to working on, but you need some components built out and do something quick and get it out there because you have a more important things. So you have to create your priorities and go with it. And sometimes you're not putting out you know, code that you're going to put on the wall in a museum someday, but uh, it gets the job done and you can move on with your life what you need to do yeah there's always this feeling of permanency and that's actually one of the things that always sort of attracted me to recording is the ability to hit rewind and record it again but on i've also had the opportunity to do live events which is a whole nother approach where it's like let's get through this 
uh, as long as nothing explodes and there's no blood, it was a pretty good show. Because it's all about that instant. It's all about that particular moment and trying to do, trying to pull off something and make it work in a situation that is generally very difficult. So it's two different approaches. In both, I was using the same skills and it was very important that I get my work done and to try to produce as uh, polished a result as I could. But I knew it, you know, if I missed unmuting something or muting something or Maybe the guitar didn't sound quite as good as I hoped. You know what? All in all, I was the only one that was going to notice. And if people walked away going, wow, that was a good show, then I did my job. And now there are times that, you know, I could spend hours looking for the right method or some slick approach that may save me two or three lines of code. But in reality, I'll write the two or three lines of extra code and then get on with getting this done so that I can put it in the hands of my clients and they can put it in the hands of their users. So that, that makes sense. But like a lot of times if we're writing code, what we get hung up on are the stuff that people see. So, I mean, you can save a few lines of code, you can save a bunch of code by using a framework. But a lot of things I see as kind of a parallel is like tweaking animation, tweaking different UI elements. That's something you can really get down into just the weeds, trying stuff out and you take up a lot of time getting animations just right and things like that. That seems to be pretty similar to what you're talking about. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the flip side is there are times when the artist is like, you know, that's just not right. Let's keep going. Let's keep working. I have, uh, it, it, you know, in the in the industry, you hear stories about people spending days trying to get a snare drum sound. And you'll hear about records where they spent weeks mixing one song. And and I have actually done some of that. Uh, you know, I've I've spent several days mixing a song. I've spent I've spent days coming up with drum set sounds. I've spent a week recording vocals and didn't use any of it. Uh, that's sort of the other end of the spectrum. And if you have someone who's willing to go on that adventure with you and to spend that time, then yeah, it can be a, a very interesting journey. Is it how you always want to spend your time? Oh, probably not. That could, tweaking those animations can get real old real quick. But there are times that that can actually make a difference to your client. And it's usually something intangible. It's usually, oh, that feels much better. Well, I have no idea what that means, but if it works for you, great. Uh, so it really I means a balance. Like anything in life, there are times that you want to go to a nice meal and spend three hours with someone having a nice meal, having some wine, doing all that. And then other times that you're just going to go through the drive through. They both have their place. They both have their reason. And chances are you aren't going to do one all the time. Yeah. Like Which kind of. I'm moving on like to the the next topic I usually cover, you can't polish a turd. And we've all run into this where a client has a really bad idea and there is no way you're going to make that good. And I have worked on plenty of records where the songs were just not good. They were, nothing about them was good. They were poorly written, poorly performed, uh, dare, someone dare say poorly recorded, but there was nothing redeeming about them. And those are the times that it gets really, really difficult to sit in the chair and get the work done. But when it comes to your personal projects or projects that really matter, there are times that you sort of have to step up and say, this is just not good. Or maybe this idea doesn't work. Or maybe no one really needs this app. Or maybe this feature is just kind of there because someone said, hey, I have a bad idea. Let's follow that. So that's one of those things that takes a little while and a little bit of effort and experience to really look at something and go, you know what? This probably isn't a very good idea. Or you know what? This song just doesn't work for you guys. Or maybe there's something that really, really needs to be changed. You know, it's the whole, well, we've got all these features when really all you need is one. And that's the sort of thing that takes a while to come up with the the confidence 
to say, you know what? Don't do this. Or, you know what? I'm not the person to do this. It's, it's one of those things that takes a while to get comfortable understanding and then acting on. Um, one of the other topics is it's not the gear, it's the ear. And this kind of goes back to the whole framework idea of the, the idea behind it's not the gear, it's the ear. It's, it's you. It's your ability. It's your knowledge, your experience, your understanding that makes the difference. It's not the framework. It's not the language. It's not any of those things that so often we get caught up on. Uh, you know, it, functional programming is wonderful, but if you don't know how to use it, you're going to make a mess of it. Object-oriented programming, great. Don't understand the paradigm, you're going to really mess things up. I use Swift, great for a lot of things, not so good for other things. So the example I give in my talk is, you can give a child 128 crayons, you know, even with the sharpener. I never had one as a kid, always lusted for doing complicated images with a lot of detail, a lot of different color usage and blending and all that. So you're going to get an image that may be wonderful for the parents who receive it. You know, they can put it on the refrigerator. But if you're going to pay a lot of money for it, you probably wouldn't be very happy. And at the same time, you've also seen pictures that were done with a pencil that look like photos. And that's someone who has ability and the tools don't really matter. The tools are great if you know what you're doing. Uh, again, I had an equipment rental company, so I had a lot of tools, which made painting sometimes a whole lot of fun. And it's fun to play with all those textures and those different sounds and all the things that you can make happen. But I spent a lot of time working with those tools to understand them, to understand their benefits, the limitations, things that worked awesome on them so that became a mainstay, things that I'd never used them on. Same thing with programming languages and paradigms, design patterns, and all those sorts of things. The more you use them, the more you understand them, the more you understand that they're not what matters. It's your knowledge, it's your understanding, it's your experience. You know, if I had to sit down and write a program in C, straight C, I could do it. Would it be a great program? As elegant or as polished or as slick or fast as using a different language? Maybe not. But it would work. And if it was a good idea, hopefully it would be a good program. That's a good, that's a good point. One of my professors in school always said, a poor craftsman blames his tools. You know, there's, there are companies out there running on the worst PHP code you could ever imagine, and they're making money, and they're, they're doing what they need to do. So if, you know, our, us as developers, we love to, to complain about our, our tools and say we can't do things this way, but if you know what you're doing, you can make anything work. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Beginners fall into that trap more often. I see they tend to ask us, like, which software did you use? I, I worked with video editing before being a programmer, and whenever I showed someone some piece of work, some video I made, they'd ask me, like, 
which camera did you use, which software did you use to edit the video, but not like conceptual things that were way more important. And I see like beginner programmers do that. They ask you, oh, which framework are you using, which library and more advanced programmers usually ask you about your idea or conceptual stuff. Yeah, it ties into to one of the topics is no one buys the album because of the mic the singer used. You know, I've never heard anyone ever say this album would have been great if they had used a better vocal mic. Or you know what, if they had used this particular effect, this would have been a great song. It, it's just a ridiculous concept. Uh, the tools are just the tools that you use. I mean, it's also the whole religious debate in audio of analog versus digital. My answer is, I don't care. What tool do I have? I've done analog, did it for a long time, had and multi-track analog recorders, still have some analog recorders at home. Will I ever cut and edit vocals on analog? No. I mean, you would have to take away everything for me to even consider that. The digital would be the only tool I would use. Does that mean I'm going to get an inferior product? No. Does it mean if I do something in a particular language or framework that it's automatically inferior? No. Your customers don't care. Your clients, all they want to do is use your software and get on with their life. They don't care if you use PHP. They don't care if you use COBOL. Please don't. But, but you would be amazed and disturbed the number of well whole industries and parts of our government that run on COBOL and Fortran if you want job security go learn COBOL and Fortran because the people who wrote that will eventually die and you'll have a job but are they great for modern applications oh no are they good for what they did at the time yeah but I certainly don't want to use them and there's a lot of people that don't want to use them but that's that was a tool, and let's not get caught up on tools. I mean, I've never met, I've never met someone who builds houses or builds anything for that matter to, in construction. I've never met someone who works in construction who says, "You know what? Hammers are the way to go. All I need is a hammer, or you know, screwdrivers. I'll take slotted and over Phillips every time. You know what? And if all you need is a good screwdriver." No, it's a tool. I, I've never heard people argue about the relative merits of this saw versus that saw. It's a tool. It gets a particular job done. You know, are there better incarnations? Yeah, you don't, you don't see quite as many people using a swing hammer as you do uh, a gas powered or, you know, a pneumatic hammer nowadays, but they're still using something as driving a nail. So getting caught up on the whole language thing, I actually, I edited video as well. I mean, I did Avid for a while and Final Cut Pro. And the only people who ever really asked that were other editors. And it was only just out of curiosity. It wasn't like, oh, well, if you would use Final Cut, this would have been a better movie. You know, those sort of notions and ideas are just ridiculous. and They're not beneficial at all. Um, it's not as bad in the programming world, but in the audio world, there are magazines that have articles that are there just to keep you flipping pages, looking at ads for different gear, as if some particular piece of gear is going to solve all of your problems. You know what? This is a terrible program, but if I use this framework, ta-da, everything's better. Uh, no, that's not the case at all. But yeah, if, you, the, that, if you can find the, the mic that Elvis used, then your el your albums would be just like his, right? Is that how it works? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the example I use is uh, a Neumann U47. And I show a picture of the Beatles using the 47 and Frank Sinatra using a 47. Well, if you use a 47, you aren't going to sound like either of those. If you can't sing and you use a 47, you're going to sound like someone who can't sing singing through a really nice microphone. And to go on with that analogy is the most commonly used microphones for vocal recording cost anywhere from $100 to $350. 
And you can go down to Guitar Center and buy one right now. And the one I'm thinking of in particular is a Shure SM57. Mics ha- that mic has been made for 40 years, 50 years almost. Uh, it's pretty much the Desert Island microphone. You can use it on everything. Costs you $99, brand new. Even comes with a little bag. And if you ever lose your hammer, you can still use it to drive nails. You took and my was, joke. I was going to make the yes. hammer joke, but yes, yeah. Those are the, and the, and, the, and I have I have seen people do it. I'm not kidding. I have seen people use the back of a 57 to drive a nail. Uh, those people generally weren't asked back, but I have seen it done. That's awesome. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff. Like nothing is sacred. Uh, one of the examples I give is there's an engineer named Jack Joseph Quake who retells a story of working for another very famous engineer. And when he was younger, he was just starting out and spent a lot of time trying to mic up a guitar amplifier to get a sound and move the mic around trying to get it to sound just right. And the engineer walks in, looks him straight in the eye and kicks the stand over. Of course, he's kind of annoyed. And the engineer looks at him and says, just pick it up and do it again. You spent all that time. You overthought it. Use your ears. Put the mic where you think it needs to go. And you're probably going to get a better sound. Just do it. And lo and behold, he just bent over, picked up the mic stand, shoved it where he thought it should go. It sounded better. Got on with it. Some people, uh, this is the best example of doing this ever. End of sentence. You know, this should be, this should be put on the Voyager probe and sent into space. It's so amazing. And you know what? Just erase it and start over. It's text in a file. It's not really going to change anything if you erase it and start over. Just don't get so attached to these things that you forget that you're trying to accomplish a task, not write some Shakespearean piece of prose. You know, you you did it. If it needs to be changed, change it. If there's a better way to do it, erase it and do it that way. It's not magical. This isn't some incantation that if you get one word wrong, you're going to die or something's going to burn or a demon's going to get summoned or something like that. Just, it's not that big of a deal. If something needs to be changed, if you need to do it again, just do it. I think as developers, we get very attached to what we did. We created it. It was our idea. It was our baby. We treat it like that, which is absolutely the wrong approach because sometimes you put something, a lot of effort, a lot of thought towards it, and it's the wrong approach. And you just need to throw it out and try again. So it's definitely something that developers see all the time. And I used to get over fights about this kind of stuff. And it's pointless to, because you don't need to. Yeah, it's it's like the great philosopher Homer Simpson once said, it's not a good idea or a bright idea, but it's my idea, and I like it. Perfect. So uh, another one is... Some shiny things are just shiny. And the examples I give are the world of audio is sort of strange in that we still use vacuum tubes or valves, as our friends across the uh, pond say. Uh, If you don't know what that is, ask your grandparents or look it up on Wikipedia. It's the original uh, electron valve or electron tube is the original gain amplifier. used to be used in radios and televisions. Uh, you used to be able to go down to the corner drugstore with the tubes from your radio or television and put them in a tube tester and see if they were still good. If they weren't, you would buy new tubes. Well, tubes are still in microphones. They are still in equalizers. They are still in dynamics processors. Uh, you can get some recording consoles that have tubes in them. Audio is about the only place outside of the military you're going to find tubes, which is very strange based on technology developed sometime in the 20s. There are pieces of gear now that are worth many, many times what they were new. There are certain compressors, um, you can look up what dynamics processing is, that are worth, one, one example, let me back up. There's equipment now worth many times what it was new. And probably... The best example of this is what's uh, known as a Fairchild 670. is a stereo two-channel compressor that was originally used 
for recording lathes for uh, cutting actual records, like actually cutting the groove in a record. Uh, they were fairly expensive new, but nowadays if you can find one and the person is willing to sell it, it's going to cost you anywhere from fifty to $75,000. They used to be thrown away. When technology moved from tubes to transistorized components, people would literally throw these things away. Uh, now, again, you can buy a newer version where someone has just copied it, and it's probably going to cost you about $15,000, or you can get a digital emulation that's going to cost you 250 bucks. And again, this is technology that was brand new in the 50s. Uh, there's another company called Neve that was originally started by a, a British gentleman. And the recording consoles and the microphones and uh, microphone preamplifiers and equalizers that he built are worth several times what they cost new, and they weren't cheap new. There's even a company now that purchased the rights and owns the rights to manufacture those products, and they still cost a lot of money, brand new nowadays. And now there are also digital emulations of those. So that is something that people consider to be the ultimate example of analog electronics. You know, the general concept is when it comes to audio, analog kind of peaked out in the 70s. And if you look at the programming world, there are frameworks that are coming out every day. There's a new language practically every week. And some of them are great and may stick around. Others probably won't last more than, you know, a Reddit cycle. But there are certain ideas and there are certain approaches and certain philosophies that don't seem to be going anywhere. Love it or hate it, the C language doesn't seem to be disappearing 40 years after it was created, almost 50 years after it was created. And but, this is not me. the compiler me, so. is free. So. Yeah, well, the okay. compiler is free, as in beer. But... I'm not going to sit here and say it's the greatest language ever made because uh, it, it has bitten me many a time. But there are certain ideas that seem to work for the way most programmers think or getting certain tasks done. And there's also a huge number of languages that are just sort of reformulations of C. So design patterns, love them or hate them, they don't seem to be going anywhere. They seem to be a pretty basic idea that is beneficial. Has, they have shown themselves to be, I won't say truths, but I will say that they are foundational to a lot of approaches and they seem to be beneficial. They're one of those things that while the catalog of design patterns seems to be growing, very few of these design patterns are completely abandoned. I mean, many get absorbed as basic foundations and languages and just basic approaches to logic, basic approaches to laying things out so that they're easier to read. Some of these very basic ideas that, well, go back to punch cards don't seem to be going anywhere. But at the same time, we also have a lot of these newfangled formulations, these lot of frameworks. I love to pick on JavaScript, but, you know, just saw a cartoon today that was a takeoff on the so many days without an accident that was so many days without a JavaScript framework uh, because you just can't get away from all these new things. And a lot of them just aren't, they don't adhere to the idea of keep it simple, make it beneficial, and don't get flashy. Uh, there's a lot of new things that are just shiny. They may look great, but in the long run, don't have much benefit to them, don't have much meat, if you will, and don't won't have much staying power. God, I can babble on. Yeah, so tell us about, there's also, you can't fix it in the mix. What what does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's a phrase that's, that's a phrase that's used in the industry quite a bit. Basic idea is mixing is the, process of taking all the individual parts that you've recorded, all the vocals they recorded, all the different instruments, then, you know, 20 guitars, 40 keyboards, all these drum sounds, all that stuff, and blending it into something that 
actually sounds like a song. So you could have a hundred different tracks that you're recording and you need to blend all that down to two tracks, stereo, left and right, or if you're doing surround or whatever. But you're taking all these disparate pieces, making adjustments so that they all blend together and creating a whole. The idea is you can't fix it in the mix means that if you recorded a song poorly or if it's not a good song, there is no amount of twiddling or adjusting or anything you can do at that stage to actually make it a good recording, to actually make it a good song. You are done. You can't polish it. You can't fix it. It's like if you built a building that's going to fall over, changing the wallpaper isn't going to make a difference. I think, uh, I think we see this in software where they might have an offshore team do the work very cheaply and get about 90% ready and think they can bring someone in and just fix it. And I talked to these companies, I'm like, um, no, there's really nothing I can do for you. Uh, you have to start over. Because uh, if, you, if, you, if the base of your app is, is flawed and it doesn't work right, like there's nothing you can do about it. So there's a lot of uh, commonalities. Like if you record the vocals wrong, if you record guitar tone that doesn't sound right, like there's nothing you can do at the mixing console that's going to fix it. No, in the, the cartoon of, I think it's Raymond's last day as the sound engineer and the band, people are throwing things at the band on stage and he's reaching up to the knob that's labeled suck. Uh, you, you can't fix those things. I mean, if you, if you come back and your arch architecture, if you come back and your architecture was poorly designed or your user interface is unusable you need to start over you need to back up i've done several projects where we got to the mixing phase and someone brought me tracks and were like hey can you mix this and after listening to it it's like you really need to redo these things because and a lot of this was done before pro tools was so prevalent but if the very foundation of the song, the drums and the bass player aren't working together or the harmonies don't work or the guitar player just can't play the parts right or things are out of tune, out of time, I can't fix that. I can do a lot with it nowadays in Pro Tools, but it's still not going to be the same as if they'd done it correctly the first time. And that's where a lot of it really comes in is you have to have done the work previously to understand the difference between good and bad. You can't just kick the can down the road and hope someone else is going to fix it for you. That's just not happening. So fix it in the mix means stop and make the decisions now and later. I mean, you can look at all sorts of studies that show it's easier to find, to fix a problem in the design phase than it is to debug it later. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. that's definitely shown. If you find if you fix something right away when you write the code, it's easy. You know, if you do it a day later, it's harder. Once you've a month later, or if, once you've given it to QA, it's harder. And if you ship it to customers, like it's that much harder. So it gets exponentially more difficult to fix a problem. Um, you can just do it yeah, right the first time. I used to. I've also been involved with construction uh, of building recording studios, building performing arts center, and that sort of thing. And I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to move a wall on paper than it is to actually move a wall. So you got to make those decisions and really think about things up front. And I know it can be hard, but you really, really got to do it. Luckily, we don't have walls in software or physical walls. <clears throat> yeah, that's why I get into it. A lot less heavy lifting. Yeah, easier but those, those virtual walls are sometimes really hard to move. Sure. It's always easier to write new software than it is to modify existing software. True. You can hang a lot of stuff on a virtual wall, and then you're in trouble. And that kind of leads into the last one that I, I usually include, which is architecture matters. And I know it's, it's sort of a cheat to use the phrase architecture, and it kind of... Most software people immediately think of you know design patterns and things like that, but in the audio world... It's all about building the actual building. There are recording studios like Abbey Road, which I think 
probably anyone who's ever listened to the Beatles or even modern music, it's still a, a very popular studio. It was originally built in 1931 to do orchestral recordings. And there are rooms in that facility that they will not change and that were built a little bit later than 31. But they look like they're stuck in the 50s, but they sound fantastic. So there's absolutely no reason to try to fix it. One studio I've been to was the Barbra Streisand scoring stage uh, on, on the Sony Pictures lot in L.A. It was built to record the soundtrack for The Wizard of Oz. They actually had to stop construction on the room so that they could meet the deadline to get everything done and get the movie out. So they never finished the room. They stopped construction to get the soundtrack done so they could release the movie on time. And it shows. It's an ugly room. It is just this basic brown press board. Uh, press board is like the... Just take a bunch of cardboard and squish it together. That's what it looks like. It's very dark. It's a... And it, it just... It doesn't feel expensive. It doesn't feel like Hollywood. It feels like, you know, some guy had a warehouse and just threw up a couple of microphones. But the thing is, the room sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing for doing orchestral recordings. So they realized that and said, okay, well, we can deal with the way it looks because it sounds better than we had expected. Let's just leave it alone. And when it comes to writing software, those sort of unfortunate accidents don't happen. It's more about the Abbey Road approach of let's build it and let's build it based on sound principles, sorry for the pun, but let's build it using what we know works and let's not get all crazy with it because we don't have the money or time to do the guesswork. With any type of construction, it may look good on paper, but when you actually build it, things are going to change. So you do the best you can to limit those number of changes, but you have to realize that this wall is going to be off a couple of inches. The ceiling might be a little lower than you expected. This door is going to be shifted over some, and you just deal with that. But if the design in and of itself is solid, those minor adjustments aren't going to make the building collapse. So with building software, you have to take the same sort of approach. You need to move the walls on paper. You need to know that you, you're going to have to spend the time up front really thinking about the architecture, making a few mistakes, having to change things so that later on, do that work up front. So later on when your app changes, when you have to make some updates or add or subtract a feature later on, the whole house doesn't collapse. And that takes doing the work up front, which, again, takes having done the work over and over to know where those pitfalls are, to know where those gotchas are, to know where the problems may be. Because I've never run across a software project that wasn't abandoned that didn't change somewhere along the way. So if you have a good foundation from which to build, it's going to make those changes a lot easier to do. Awesome. So we're getting getting close to out of time, so we should probably get to the picks. But anything else you want to talk about before we get to the picks? Um, no, I, I threw in some other points, but I'm probably going to use those to change. So I'm going to wind up changing the talk a little bit later this year, so I'm just going to use those pieces. Coming soon to a conference near you. <laughs> Coming to a conference near you. Oh, that's good. Nice audio. Other voice. stuff. Other stuff I learned while making records. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they how can they find you? Uh, stalking, not good. Okay. So to, to get in touch with me, uh, well, it's actually good because I don't have a website. How, how should I do this? Because I don't really have much. I'm sort of hidden away. Uh, I kind of live in my own world. Uh, I don't have a website. I don't have a blog. Uh, I don't even really use Twitter and I don't connect it. I'm an old guy, so I, none of this stuff really interests me. Uh, okay. It's like, Soviet Ru- it's like Soviet Russia. James Bakers yes. finds you. So you can follow me on Twitter for those rare occasions. I actually put anything up at, at 
Noise Toys, Noise with a Z, Toys with an S. Uh, that was the name of my old company. Or you can hunt me down at a conference. Uh, I still have a few conferences I'm doing this year, doing 360 iDev in Denver in August and doing SwiftComp in Germany, in Cologne. Uh, what is that? September. And also Connect Tech here in Atlanta in September. Very cool. For you, the listeners of the iFreak Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So let's get to the fix. Guy, do you have a pick for us? Yes. Panic has just released Transmit 5. Great FTP software. I love it. I still use file transfers for some stuff. And I've actually been using Backblaze B2 to like store some of my personal files. It's like an S3 sort of so and i can use transmit now to manage it it's really nice i recommend it uh, i'd also like to pick a feature of most os's both mobile and desktop which is the do not disturb mode which i use very frequently and it's been helping me focus on my work and be more productive awesome so I'm going to do just one pick. Someone on my Facebook timeline, I went to school for audio stuff, so I have a bunch of audio geeks in my Facebook timeline. Someone forwarded a, a video I'd maybe seen before about Roger Nichols and how he created the Wendell, which is probably the first drum machine. And he did it because he was in a studio. Like James, he was recording. He was the engineer for Steely Dan in the 70s, the Asia album. And if you know anything about Steely Dan, they're the most persnickety people in the recording studio. It took them forever to make anything. And they hired the best musicians they could find. And they just had them repeat things over and over again. And it still wasn't right. So he's like, what? So the guy from Steely Dan went to Roger Nichols like, like, can you fix this? And he thought about it. And one day he showed up with uh, essentially a drum machine, which could play back samples and let them tweak the time however they wanted to, which was Completely unheard of. But uh, yeah, I saw a video, so I'll find a link to it that uh, explains kind of the process. It was a pretty cool thing. He was just a recording engineer, and he showed up with this computer device that was probably the first drum machine, and he was just doing it. So I'll try to find a link for the for the video, but um, it's cool stuff. So James, do you have a pick for us? I do. I'm actually going to cheat, and it's three and one. And I think I may have actually heard this on one of the dev tv dev chat tv podcasts but it's the three body problem by shenzhen liu uh, it's actually three books the first one is called the three body problem and then dark forest and uh the third one is but it is a chinese sci-fi uh, the author is chinese and it is a very unique approach to sci-fi and it is definitely different uh takes a little bit of work to get through not that it's bad but it it is very scientific at times and it is it takes a little bit of abstract thought to get through it but it is really really fantastic so if you are a hard sci-fi fan it is definitely something worth looking into awesome so that's our show for today. Thanks, James, for coming on the show. We learned a lot. It's always cool to talk audio and stuff like that. And 
for everyone else, we'll see you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.